You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and in these episodes, we focus on one of two things. We'll either be sharing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from a Flip My Funnel event, or you'll hear Sangram and someone from the Terminus team discuss how they're getting better in a specific functional area of Terminus's business. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. I'm super excited for this series for next 10 Thursdays, guys. Next 10 Thursdays, you're going to hear the sessions that we're played in Arizona at the B2BMX conference. And the reason is we're going to have a similar set of speakers and have all the great experiences that you're about to get a taste of for the next 10 Thursdays in Boston on August 11th and August 12th. We are joining hands with B2BMX and Petovitz Group and Terminus and Flip My Funnel. All of us are coming together and doing this big industry conference where marketing sales are coming together as one team and going to talk about phenomenal results that you and your organization can get. So I hope to see you in Boston on August 11th and 12th. And here's a sneak peek of the type of sessions you can expect at this conference. So here you go. Great. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks very much for coming. Uh, and uh, just a uh, show of hands quickly. I'm going to ask you a couple of times to get you kind of warmed up. Can you hear me okay? First of all, in the back, you guys hear me? Okay, great. Okay, second show of hands. Does everybody in their organization have access to either PowerPoint, Keynote, or Google Slides? Yes? Okay, you have all the technology you need to buy to be successful with what I'm going to talk about today. Okay? So take a deep breath. Exhale. No ABM. No no CRM. Just exhale and enjoy a a technology-free session for the next 35, 40 minutes. Okay? So quickly, just by way of background, my name's Dave Bruno. I'm the A Marketing Director. I report to the CMO for a retail technology company called Aptos, not Aptos, Aptos. Aptos, I'm very sensitive about that. I picked the name, so I'm very sensitive about that word that I made up, that everybody pronounced this word that I made up, that they produce it correctly. we, we have about 1,000, 1,100 uh, tier one to tier three retail clients around the world. We're in five continents. Uh, our selling cycles, complicated, complex, challenger, all the pick all the names that you want to pick for it. It, it. it pretty much lives to all of those things. We target C-suite executives for the most part, but we have lots of influencers at different levels within the organization. But at the end of the day, the CIO, the CFO, or the CMO are usually writing the checks. Uh, And if I'm really, really, really lucky, I get an audience with the CEO occasionally, but it's very uh, highly competitive. There may be some of our competitors, Oracle, Infor. uh, If you're in the room, we compete with you guys on the retail side uh, pretty much day in and day out, as well as um, NCR. There's four or five of us that are in most of our deals all the time. And then some other up and comers or smaller companies. Uh, that appear from RFP to RFP. Okay, so that's about my company and sort of our challenges for you to kind of relate to how how this might relate to how you guys go to market every day. And my job, and there's a little bit of foreshadowing to the next slide here, pay close attention to the size of my forehead. Uh, I focus on global brand content strategy and sales enablement. Uh, I put that in blue because of the track we're in today, the Sales Impact Summit. Okay, 
and size of my forehead. I must be getting old. I've been doing this uh, 27 years. Uh, a variety of things uh, all related to the content that we're learning about here this week. So I've got a pretty diverse resume uh, of doing those kinds of things. You know, 27 years ago it was 1992. And in 1992, Glengarry Glenn Ross came out. Anybody know that movie? Yes. Okay. Truth now. All right. Everybody, please give me an enthusiastic raise of your hand if you know this movie. Just raise it up there so I can see it. Okay. How many of you have seen only Alec Baldwin's monologue and not the whole movie, right? Because it's in every sales kickoff. Everybody's seen it at a sales kickoff, right? Okay. So as I was looking to kind of say, give these guys some contacts and my forehead is huge and I'm old. There's a lot of young people in the room. They don't remember what 1992, hopefully you were born in 1992, but uh, you may not remember 1992. So I thought, I'd, let's see if there are some parallels. So first and foremost is we had I and Alec Blake, his character in the movie, had a very similar sense of fashion, the white shirts, the dark striped suits. Mine was double-breasted because that was money in 1992, <laughs> the double-breasted suits. We also had fresh face and fresh, fresh, fresher faces and smaller foreheads or uh, much fuller heads of hair. Uh, and the point of that scene, and really the big point of the movie, was the Glengarry Leeds, okay? This was a, a movie about people in uh, really hard, they're real, trying to get leads for real estate, okay? And imagine our lives, you guys, I don't know if you can see this, I'm sorry, I didn't know the screen would be so low, but they actually had them wrapped with a ribbon, that's how they got leads back in 1992, right? Literally a stack of leads tied up with a string, if you do your job, if you are always closing, as Blake was his famous, always be closing, right? And he yells at the guys, coffee is for closers. You can't even have coffee if you don't close the leads. There are some very interesting parallels because while he was full of vitriol and some would say inspiration, um, I'm not sure Jack Lemmon's character thought that, but uh, the parallels uh, to marketing back then are very interesting because he was long on platitudes. Always be closing. This watch is worth more than your car, right? All of those great lines. And that was the only scene he was in in the whole movie. I don't know if everybody knew that fun little fact there. But that's it. He didn't have the ability to say, well, log into your ABM and go to Salesforce and then CRM and Marketo can help you and you have intent data, right? Marketing was a gut job. I believe in you guys. We had, we did marketing before the internet that actually happened, right? That, 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 that actually existed. And all of you young people are like, dude, that, that, why is that guy even here? He's irrelevant to me. I get that, right? But that's what marketing was like in 1992. And, and, and if we look at pop culture today, I thought, okay, a star is born. Everybody's probably seen that movie, a very popular movie. Those two rocked it at the Oscars the other night. Did you guys see that? Lady Gaga was just, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it, right? She was really good. And, and Bla uh, Bradley Cooper had a line in there about, well, that's a whole other bag. Not necessarily an iconic line from the movie, but it was an interesting line in the movie, which also draws parallels to marketing today, because now we measure everything. It's a whole other bag of doing marketing today versus doing marketing in 1992, because we measure everything, probably to our fault. But I would ask this question, do we really? So I want to find out, and I promise this will be quick. 
And I know everybody hates it when the presenters make me raise my hand because he's going to call on me. I'm not going to call on you. I'm not going to make you answer any questions or stand up or do a dance. I just really like to see you. Please raise your hand. When I show you these things, I'm going to ask you if you either measure it or are measured by it. And then keep your hand up as I paddle through these pretty quickly, okay? There is a point to this. So I'm going to go pretty quickly. So do me a favor and raise your hand if you measure or are measured by raised hands or inquiries. Okay, almost pretty much everybody. So keep your hand up, okay? I'll go fast. We won't get a cramp, okay? MQLs? Yes. SQLs? Couple down, okay. Total pipe, still most of the room, yes. Pipeline as a multiple of revenue target, right? Like two times revenue, three times quota. Yes, my pipe, okay, okay, interesting. Marketing contribution to revenue, boom, yeah, shut up, right? Yeah, that's how I get get paid, right? Okay, last one, win rates. So about half the room went down, right? Uh, so, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Win rates. Yes. Okay. That's very interesting because some of those metrics that some of you had your hands raised to had revenue in the metric. We measure that, but we're not measured on win rates. And guess what? Our success on some of those other metrics depends on whether or not we win the damn deal. Right? Okay. So for everyone in the room, but particularly those of you who do measure or are measured by win rates, How many of these beautiful Arizona days have passed since you went on a ride along, since you sat in on that meeting, right? Every deal's got that meeting, that big meeting where we're going to try to get in front of the executives and the decision makers. We're going to do our demos. We're going to give our pitch. And this is that big meeting. Everything that marketing lives for, right, is that meeting. Don't have to raise your hands. I promise I won't embarrass you. But think about how many days it's been since you sat in on one of those meetings. And if it's been a little while, brace yourself. Okay? You just might not like what you see. And if you have seen Tommy Boy, you know exactly what I mean. I hear a few people chick sniggering, right? This is just such a classic sales meeting scene of all times, right? So, um, uh, but point is, right, you just may not like what you see if you were to actually be a fly on the wall or sit in on uh, a sales meeting, because we know, right, in fairness, in defense, right, the salespeople are some of the busiest people in our company, right? Just ask them. They'll tell you, right? They're constantly on conference calls. They're constantly And what's the second biggest complaint they have is that we keep sending them to far-flung and remote places where they have to go to meet the prospects. And then while they're there, they'll tell you how often they have to work through dinner, right? It's rough. They're busy people being in sales. And oh, by the way, they got to save time to count their commissions because that takes a lot of time keeping track of their commission plans, right? Clearly, they're some of the busiest people in the organization, And because they are so busy, what often happens, at least in my experience, 27 long years, in my experience, they end up doing a lot of that prep for that meeting, that one meeting that we live and die for on the airplane, on the way in the night before. And they take all that beautiful content that we create for them, they mash it all together, and they change the logo with a low-res logo that they stretch, and there you go. (laughs) There you go. There's my meeting prep. 
right? And we know how productive airplane time can be, right? We all know how productive that can be. So the point is, right, if you're not paying attention, if you're not doing those ride-alongs, if you're not paying attention to win rates, let alone what the hell they're actually saying in those meetings, it's my argument that we put an awful lot of what we do, including what we get measured by and how we get compensated. We're leaving that to chance. My one and only freaking funnel, I almost screwed that up, freaking funnel chart, right? I promised you to release some of the anxiety of marketing operations stuff for the next half hour. But I got to put this funnel up here because all this stuff, when we're not paying attention, all this stuff is at danger of being unused, misused, abused. I loved that alliteration there, you guys. Man, I was really proud of that, right? But it gets unused, it gets misused and abused. And your message gets as mangled as the Coke logo on that can, right? It gets, you can't even read it anymore. Your message just gets entirely mangled. Now, I've been using the pronoun you, right? Your message, your content. Really, I mean mine. I don't know if you guys have the same experience, but I have a lot of pain. So forgive me here if I have a breakdown, but I'll share a few examples. Uh, these are live slides. I've blocked the logo to protect the innocent, uh, but these are live uh, hashtag slides of shame uh, from my sales team's past to help you illustrate what might be at stake uh, in your business. So here's a slide which talks about global reach with local impact that had 96 words on that slide. Go ahead. I'll, I'll give you a minute. You want to go ahead? I'll, I'll stand away. You guys go ahead and try to figure out what the hell that person was trying to tell them about our business and the CAD and central management support. Hold on just a minute. It was imagine oh, the image health check. review. OK, you got that. Everybody learned the value of our slide. Right. Right. Eight point font on this one. I didn't even bother to count the words on this one. And God knows this should be about 10 slides. But the good news is we have unique and specific services. Okay, they're unique and they're specific. I don't know what they are, but they're unique. There's an old I Love Lucy episode, unique and euphonious would have only been the better, better uh, slide there. And this one on kettlebells, I'm not sure. We sell retail software. I'm not sure what kettlebells, even if you're going somewhere in here, I think he was going for hardware. And I guess there's some kind of loose connection visually there. But I can see his audience like, Right. Like he's talking about his service and the audience is going, why the hell am I looking at kettleballs? What's he trying to say? Right. OK. And then this one. Right. Here's what salesperson try. Buy our stuff and come to the dark side, because if I make my slide really dark and you can't read it, I can tell you anything I want because you can't read it. And oh, by the way, it's got typos. It's got the world's worst hanging widow I've ever seen. And, you know, it's got a value statement to his or her credit. Our services can't be duplicated, but that's because they can't be seen. So no one can copy them because it's too dark to see it. Right. So, look, I've been in this long enough. We all have slides like this in our closets. Right. We all have skeleton slides in our closet and assets that we're not necessarily proud of that somehow made it to market. But when that happens to me, this is actually the first Batman, you people, you young people, you didn't know at Adam West from the 1970s, <laughs> the best Batman ever. But it's like for getting punched in the face. I think you can see just by the slides I've put up for you, except for the intentionally bad ones, 
I put a lot of effort into trying to create content that allows people to absorb your message and pay attention to you and not microscopically read the microscopic content. So when I see bad slides, it punches me in the face. It just absolutely is like Batman punching me in the face. And, you know, customized content, right, other than the stretched logo that's low res on the first slide, that's like a pipe dream, man. (laughs) We have no shot. We just have no shot. That's not my pipe. I hear you going, okay, could be, but that's not particularly (laughs) mine. So, right, so what happens when our message gets mangled or misses the mark like that? What happens? Our wind rates fall off the cliff, right? So what do we do about it? First of all, we don't despair, okay? So first of all, get on the road, do a ride along, see how bad or good it is in those meetings, whatever the ride along means, whether you're selling via conference call or selling on site. We'll talk about steps here in just a second, but do not despair. Okay. Because unlike Wiley Coyote, we got a shot against the roadrunner. And that's his name for all you young people who don't know who that is either. Okay. Right. But don't despair. Because what's interesting is when we go in deal, in deal marketing for us, all of this people, all of those people in this room, that's what we live for. It's a dream scenario because it's like shining bright spotlights on our content targets, our audience, the people we're trying to reach. It's a gigantic beaming spotlight that guides our content. So instead of dealing with personas, we're dealing with live persons, live people. Sorry, grammar, but that was so clever. I just had to put it on the slide. Okay. Pers- right? Instead of personas, instead of understanding and guessing what their interests are, we know what they know what their planned investments are. That's exact. Tells us a roadmap for our content. This is what you should be talking about. You don't have to guess what their interests are. You don't have to sort of figure out generally what this person, what the CMO likes to read about and learn about. We know that Dave, the CMO, is going to invest in a CRM solution, and he has these four problems: personalized ABM. We can argue all day about whether that's really personalized or not. Turn into personal stories. That's a two-way street. We get to hear their personal stories, and we can develop personal stories for them. It's a dream scenario for content marketing if we embrace it. And we decided to adapt us. We saw that potential for how that targeted content can impact our win rates. We went all in. All of our chips went in. I'm a very well-paid person only because I've been doing this a very long time. And my company allowed me to spend about 80% of the money they invest in me on this, helping improve win rates. And I'll show you how we did it, okay? Show you how to make this work for you. We can all make more money when we improve our win rates. So we did five things, okay? First and foremost, again, sorry, you guys. I didn't realize the projector would be so low, the screen. We earned the sales team's trust. We had to earn their trust. There's no magic. I can't give you a checklist of five things to do, but you got to earn the trust of sales leadership to allow you to go on those ride-alongs, okay? Earn their trust, and part of the way that you do that is you join the team. You get on an account team. I don't mean as your job, but I mean as a function of your job. Get on an account team. And trust comes if you get into the scrum, do the work, be a willing and active participant to help. Get on the team, join the team, do the work, participate in discovery, 
understand what their deal strategy is intended to be, and then be a fly on the wall. Go to the meeting. Don't get in the middle of it. Don't try to steer things. Don't try to correct them. Just be a fly on the wall. Understand their brand positioning and the product positioning. Understand the value messaging that they're delivering to this specific client. Understand which assets they're mangling, using, excuse me, and most of all, gauge the reaction. Pay attention to the audience as much as the deliverer of the content. See how they're reacting. See how they're engaging or not. See how many phones are being picked up while your salesperson's presenting. Look for the bad tweets and the photographs on Twitter. Like, you believe Jackass just put this slide in front of me, right? The sales guy did this to me, right? And the golden rule throughout the process, I cannot emphasize this strongly enough. If you take nothing else away out of these five things, is no judgment. I'm judging here. I'm being silly and joking. Not before the meeting, not during, not after. No judging. No talking amongst your colleagues saying, I can't believe Dave, he just put this awful deck in front of this client because that will get out. And when that gets out, trust goes out. And this whole thing starts and ends with trust. So no triangulation, no judgment. They're doing the best they can. They're busy people counting their commissions. They've got a lot to do, right? And know that you're going to see a horror show. Expect it. Right? Just expect it. And don't make your face look like that in the back of the room. Right? Expect the horror show because if you don't, you're going to break their trust. And we can't live up to step one if we break their trust on step five. We'll never get another shot. Okay? So, what happened? So, we did that. We came home. We cried. We went to therapy. We can we healed ourselves and realized our problem, our problem. And you, you may not have the same problem, but this was what we discovered was what our team really needed help telling our brand story. They just were incapable of telling our brand story in an effective way to our prospects. Okay. So after we did those five things and only after, if I had tried to start here and shortcut the process, I have no confidence that what we had would have done would have been successful, right? But now we were the fly on the wall. We joined the team. We understood their strategy. We evaluated the assets and we listened. Now we can, we can judge, but only in the context of evaluating and how do we get better? How do we provide assistance and help to take action based on those observations? So number one, you got to find the right deal. Not every deal is going to be the right deal to start with. So find the deal that has these three characteristics. First of all, you have a salesperson that someone on your team has a good relationship with and is collaborative. Pre-existing trust will help. So find a collaborative salesperson Look for a deal where, you know, you take, you know, do the, do the, uh, the, the, the thumb in the wind test. That's manageable. You want to be able to be successful. So don't take on a deal that's too big for you to have an impact. So find a feasible workload. 
you know, and ideally look at one that's got a reasonable shot at winning. We all have deals in our pipeline that are sales qualified leads because a salesperson doesn't have anything to do. So they take on a low up, low chance, right? Low, low likelihood deal. Don't pick one of those. Pick one that has a reasonable amount, a reasonably good chance of closing. In our case, we picked a very high-end furniture chain. They had about 60 stores. They did a really brisk business with designers. It was complex. So uh, they had tradespeople that would sell their stuff when they're designing uh, custom homes and model homes and things like that. They had a big digital presence and a big social presence. And Pam, uh, my friend, was the account executive. And she and I had history together at a previous company. We had that mutual trust. I knew her to be collaborative. It was a great opportunity for us. And oh, by the way, it was, it was, it was, not, a, it was not a slam dunk. I guess I should say that. Don't pick a deal that they think they're going to win anyway. Pick a deal where, you know, it's winnable, but not, you know, guaranteed to win. It was going to be a tough deal, but it was winnable. So what did we do? We followed those steps. We dug in and we did the work. We collaborated. We did lots of research. Not only did we research the client, we researched the high-end furniture business. Who buys that kind of stuff? What does the target customer look like? What do they spend? What are their aspirations? Okay. We went on discovery. We visited stores. We brainstormed with the team, collaborate, continue to build trust. And then we worked on telling our value story. So quickly, let's take a look at what that brand story ended up looking like at the end of that process. Okay. Let me go back. Just Keyword on story, okay? I've been coming to this conference. This is my fourth year here at this conference. For years and years, I've been listening to people talk to me about the importance of storytelling. Right? And it took me a long time, you know, like the, the David Scott this morning. I was like, I'm B2B, dude. <laughs> what am I telling stories, right? It was hard for me to get my arms around what that really meant. I heard it. I was listening but I had a hard time really telling stories with my content. But again, because I knew I had to meet these people and got invested in this particular relationship, I learned about their business at a level that allowed me to tell a story about their brand. I didn't talk about my brand. I talked about their brand. So this is entirely fictitious. This is a stock model. You'll see her a couple of times coming through. I found her in about 60 poses. She has, she has like 60 pages. <laughs> like she's making, either making a fortune or not and keeps throwing pictures of herself on Shutterstock trying to sell them. But e e either way, it worked out great because you'll see I found her in a whole bunch of poses. And based on the research that we did, I could profile her, right? She's just in this age bracket. She's a professional. She's a family person, mother of one, married. She has these attitudes towards brands. So we did character development, just like we were writing a script, like we were writing a story, right? And we gave her an aspiration of building a dream home. She wanted to make her great room great. The next thing we did, we evaluated the customer so we could set the scene. So we went and we found a store near where our salesperson was going to be. She visited the store, found out is in Fairfax, Virginia. So what we try to do is tell a story that allows the audience to somewhat suspend reality. Stop thinking about software and start thinking about their customer. 
And I know that's a, a high bar. I don't mean literally they suspended reality. But I even went and found a, the exact mall, the theaters that were in the mall. Here's the family. There's their little daughter, Isla. And this was the movie that was one of the movies that was playing at the time. And I thought, well, that's targeted pretty well to a young girl about that age. And I love this little character with his bug eyes, right? Not that this is going to win the deal, but it gives you an opportunity to allow the customer to kind of get sucked into your story. Okay? So we went to that effort. Then we started shooting the action scenes, right? What are the actions that the customer is going to take, engaging with the brand and setting up wish lists and researching on hows and setting up, uh, uh, looking for availability with the husband, trying to make some decisions, right? We we created supporting actors, a tradesperson, a salesperson. We even talk about a collaborative salesperson and someone with trust, Pam, the lady I told you about. She went into the store with her phone and agreed, based on me begging and a bottle of wine, to see if she could interview a store manager, get a store manager on the phone. Can you hear that? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. So I'll skip over that. But that was actually the store manager. Pam asked her a question about what a transaction time takes. How long does a transaction take? And she was expressing her pain. God, it takes me like 20 minutes to get this darn thing checked out and yada, 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 right? So we actually embedded that right in. She became a sort of support, supporting actor in our story. We had three interviews with her throughout the clip, and the executives had no idea that she felt this way. We were bringing new information to the executives in our meeting. We had conflict resolution. Okay, she can't find what she wants. She needs to get delivery. She's got timing. She's got to work out with contractors. We had conflict resolution. And any, like any good American rom-com, it has a happy ending, right? So Pam was elated, right? Pam, she was in the back of the room beaming the entire time. She was absolutely uh, elated by the entire process. And believe it or not, the prospect was too. They actually called our CEO and said, that's the most impressive sales presentation we've ever had. It connected to us. It told our story in our language. We learned things. We now have taken some of those things and established them as our aspirations for our business, thanks to what your team did. We were like, dance. We were so bad, (laughs) right? No happy ending. After all of that, no happy ending for Aptos. No decision. They got squirrely about the money. Happens. It happens. Right. I was heartbroken, but it happens. Needless to say, we still had a lot of skeptics. Right. Like, oh, yeah, you put all this time and all this energy, put the beautiful deck together, CEO, called CEO, blah, blah, blah. And no money. I don't have any commissions to count. So we persevered. You know, we looked at the hill. We looked at that set of stairs that we needed to climb and we just climbed on. So we looked for another one of those deals that met our criteria. Winnable deal, collaborative salesperson, not too much work, all of those things. Went through all of those things. Went through the steps, the five steps, right? To discovery, all the things that uh, uh, we did for the first first trial uh, experiment, did it again. And we told a story just like we did before. We set up compelling characters. And this time they really were compelling. And oh, by the way, remember I said you might see her again? (laughs) It's really awesome. Once you find her, like she's in a lot of my stories now. Because, you know, like I said, she's a narcissist. And she has (laughs) lots and lots of pictures of herself. 
But we also got to use kids and who, and I know that this company targeted kids. They sold apparel to, to, to kids, but I got to tell this story of this little fashionista, right? This little kid with the glasses, another really fun stock model. And this young girl uh, looking for new clothes for her birthday and her aunt and the salesperson, right? We told strong story arcs about what everybody's aspirations and goals were. And of course we had the happy endings as well. Um, uh, for both Garrett and Brittany and the aunt and everybody had a happy ending. And here's how our solutions help deliver those happy endings. And this time, victory, right? We declared victory on uh, this transaction. Now we're one for two, right? We're batting 500. And in baseball terms, spring training right around the corner, we're doing pretty good. 500 is pretty good. In salesperson terms, 500 is, you know, because we invest a lot in every deal, right? But it was good enough to get word to spread. Word spread quickly around the sales team, right? This one's, I think, might be my favorite. So then we tackled a fitness retailer. New stock model. Believe it or not, it's not the same lady. Somebody said, is that the same lady? No, it's a different lady. But we approached this fitness retailer, a very large company, about 1,000 stores around the world. With this idea, the story that we wanted to tell was that you can be successful with your customers if you become their training partner. So build applications, understand what they do, when they do it, how they do it, connect with the Fitbit, connect with Apple Health, do all the things that are possible today to become a partner, a fitness training partner with your customer and help them reach their winner circles. And we won that deal. Camping retailer. Sell a lot of stuff for outdoors, not REI. If you're thinking it's not, it's not REI. A lot of RV, recreational vehicle stuff. So we told a story about all of the journeys, the shopping journeys, the customer lifetime journey with the brand. And of course, the journeys, the physical journeys that customers take in their products, right? Created the scene, set experiences, action shots, all of those things. Told how our solutions can help with every one of those journeys and enrich and bring those journeys to happy endings. We won that deal. Last example is a pet retailer. This one is so fun. I love this one. So it's a pet retailer. 1,500 stores sell pet food, pet supplies, all the stuff you might think of. We got it in our head that CRM, customer relationship on the retail side, not like we compete against Salesforce, so I guess Salesforce does that too. But, right, you think about loyalty, retail loyalty stuff, right, CRM. Wouldn't it be more effective to think about the pets in the CRM rather than the owners? So you can see some of my little kitschy little headlines here, but we build a profile. Piper, this this beautiful short-haired, German short-haired, Pointer, also a narcissist, lots of pictures, Pointer published of himself on the internet, right? He's a fitness fanatic. He's got a unique sense of style. He's in a committed long-term relationship, right? You can imagine the CRM profile, how much fun we had with that. And I put a check here because we were selected, but that deal has not gone to contract yet. So we were selected, but full disclosure, we've not won that deal yet. Okay? so. What happened? We clearly improved our storytelling ability, right? We followed those five steps. We did the work, joined the team, earned their trust, went on discovery, told our stories without judgment. 
or storytelling. I hope you can see storytelling jumped off the page. Suddenly I got it. Like this is what storytelling in B2B is all about. We're telling these personal stories. Our win rates were up, right? The only thing we need to do is scale because it's just me. And the salesperson, sales team, sorry, I don't mean that. How narcissistic was that? I didn't mean it. But it, we just had one person in marketing kind of assigned to it. We didn't have a whole bunch of people. They just said, Dave, go see if you can figure this out. Okay, I figured it out, but I can't do it by myself. I have other jobs. Can't do this full time. So if this is of interest to you, the first five things, I've repeated them five or six times. Those things you got to do every time. Every time, join an account team, earn their trust, all those things. But if you need that to scale, there are four things that I recommend. And then we'll go to lunch, right? Identify and allocate the right resources. It has to be the right. We'll talk about that in a second. But you got to identify resources and you got to identify the right resources. Create tools to allow this to scale. Because it can't just be one or two people. Put a training program in place to help people so you can, again, scale this thing. And finally, observe and evaluate often. Okay? So we'll go through these quickly one by one. First and foremost, how do I find and allocate effective resources? And the, the adjective effective is very important here. They have to be people who can help you tell your story. They have to understand your story. They have to be able to translate your solution to the customer's needs. Tell it in the form of a story. And my opinion is you got to have somebody from marketing and somebody from sales or pre-sales. I happen to have been doing this forever size of my forehead, right? I've been doing this forever. Salespeople know me, trust me. It was easy for me because I've been doing it forever. I would recommend somebody team up, take two people. And if it works, you got to make this part of their compensation, make it part of their job description, right? Okay. Number two, you got to give them productivity tools. So we did three or four things. All of these are doable and not hard that I think you could do. First of all is those images. I was joking about all the narcissists in the stock image libraries. You got to make the images available to them. Our database now, every month, when we download anything from Shutterstock, on a monthly basis, we up, Shutterstock's our image library, we update that to Dropbox. So a searchable folder on Dropbox with over a thousand images, every single one of them pre-sized to fit our templates. So image selection is no longer an excuse. Okay. Secondly, we've reinvented what we think of PowerPoint templates and don't groan, okay? <laughs> templates, PowerPoint. Our PowerPoint template, we, we, we don't even think of it as a template anymore. It's a library in and of itself. Our template, I circled it here, no one can see it, has 169 slides. 169 sample slides, custom and creative layouts. So many of the things, the slides that show up on those stories are templates Take the thousand image library, match it up with the template that you want, change the text. You have a custom slide, sample slides, infographics, maps, right? All of our best practices are baked into that 169 template. We actually have version control on our PowerPoint template. We release a template more or less a quarter with new tools, new reasons to get excited about creating good PowerPoints. And all of those assets are shareable. There's lots of technology here you can buy which I'm trying to find the money for to make that uh, easier for us. Right now, we use it on Dropbox. So make all those assets shareable. Okay, so you got the right people. You've given them some productivity tools. The next thing you got to do is train them. You got to teach them, 
Branch storytelling, I've been doing this a long time. It took me a long time to figure out what that meant, right? I've admitted it was hard for me. Imagine for someone who's less experienced how hard it might be. Got to get them to be good, better presenters. And slide crafting has to be part of this. You can't put crappy slides, particularly when now when you've said, suspend disbelief. I'm talking to you about your story. And then make it look like crap. Right? It's one thing if your stuff looks bad. Now it's their stuff. Now you're going to offend people. Right? So I put together an eight-hour course over multiple sessions because they would have killed me. Right? Just presentation skills, right? Just modern presentation skills. How do you give a good presentation? Not how do you build good slides. How do you stand in front of a room full of people and be a good presenter, right? That was a two-hour class. Slide crafting 101 and 201, two two two-hour classes. The lady before me, Christina, was talking about 10-minute people with cognitive exhaustion in 10 minutes. Try taking salespeople for two hours. So put a lot of work into it. But it made it interactive and engaging, and I got tons of feedback that this was a really effective course. And then I talked about brand storytelling. How do you tell better stories? How do you use headlines? And how do you build slides? As uh, Seth Godin says, never more than six words on a slide is his rule, right? So we try to teach people and watch them fall out of their freaking chairs when you say you can't put more than six words on a slide. Or 60 Right. That's what they like to do. And we, we have an LMS. So I managed all of it. And I track it all in uh, our LMS. So I know exactly who's completed those courses. OK. And then finally, observe back to the fly on wall, right on the, on the wall. Observe, evaluate, learn. And because we are who we are, people, we got to measure. Right. So by doing this. By doing those five steps, repeating them, and then scaling the process, right? We're now acting with much greater collaboration. We're telling much better brand stories. And no lie, we win more deals. But thank you very much. I hope this was uh, helpful for you. Happy to share the slides if you want. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.